Testament. We're going to be looking at chapter 6 and verse 35, beginning in verse 35 in just a moment. I was thinking this past week of, I believe the title of the movie was Castaway. You remember it with Tom Hanks when uh, he was lost on a remote island and little did he know that uh, one of the packages that he failed to deliver because of him being uh, stranded on an island, little did he know that uh, a volleyball would become his best friend. And that led me to think, if you haven't seen the movie, uh, you, you, you'll get where I'm going. Obviously, it was a slow movie, though. It didn't move too fast at points. But it did lead me to think this week, what if I were to be stranded on a desert island other than my wife, what would I want? And there were 10 things that I saw listed. I was trying to get some in advice on that, so I checked online uh, the authorities on the matter. I don't know who stands around all day and thinks about what people should have when they're stranded on a desert island, but somebody does that. So I want to list the 10 things. The first makes sense, a knife for protection and for hunting. The second also is self-explanatory, a, a fishing net. Third is a box of matches. Uh, forget the rubbing of two sticks together. I don't have the patience for that. I don't think I could do it. A hammock to avoid crawling creatures. Now, I could testify to that because I was in a third world country one time doing mission work. I was lying on the floor. I had eaten nabs that day, cheese crackers, and as I fell asleep, uh, a rat actually came and began to lick the tip of my fingers. I didn't realize it until the next day. Something, I kept going. And the next morning I got up and somebody said, man, did you see that big rat? <laughs> I said, I know what it was. I was sort of half out of it. So I can appreciate a hammock. A can of bug spray. Again, a necessity. Sunblock. I don't know about that. I don't think I'd be worrying about skin cancer if I uh, was in a uh, isolated place, an inflatable raft with oars. Number eight, a flashlight. Number nine, a spear. It doesn't have to be a fancy one. But then I like number 10, a satellite phone that costs about $1,500 with a $35 a month fee that can reach the signal from anywhere. If you know me, I would add a vast supply of Coke Zero sugar. But even more relevant for us this morning, is what do we need, or more importantly, who do we need in our life right now? You know, many times we speculate, we think of hypothetical situations. What if I were here? What if I were there? What if this was going on in my life? And many times we miss the present when we begin to speculate like that. But who do we need in our life? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. We're looking at the person of Jesus Christ, and who better to describe Jesus than Jesus himself? We're looking today at the very first of the seven I am sayings, and in just a moment we're going to see that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Bread is a staple. In terms of the physical realm, we need bread. Jesus once said, man does not live by bread alone, but he did not say man does not live by bread, period. So this morning we're going to look at the first of the I am sayings, and 
If you were here last week, uh, you understand as we go through these seven weeks uh, where we look at the I am sayings, the desired goal is twofold. First, that we would gain a greater knowledge for who Jesus is in each of these sayings. And then secondly, that we can practically relate it to our own life. If you'll look with me, we're going to look today at John 6, beginning in verse 35. Jesus told them, I'm the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I've told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Therefore the Jews started complaining about him, because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I've come down from heaven? Now, I want to stop there. I'm going to pick back up again in verse 43. There's something important for us to know. We're getting ready to move to the Christmas season, and the virgin birth of Jesus is an essential doctrine. Notice their argument, those that believe falsely, they were trying to attribute attribute Jesus' birth to merely a human origin, a father and mother, but Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit. We'll look at verse 43, rather, verse 43. Jesus answered them, Stop complaining among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will draw him up or raise him up on the last day. It's written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who is listened to and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. But this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. At that, the Jews argued among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the manna your ancestors ate and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. Let us pray. Fathers, we look to your word today. Lord, we understand that Jesus is speaking metaphorically here. He wasn't speaking literally about them eating his flesh. But Lord, he was speaking about even as the physical bread of manna gave sustenance and strength and satisfaction 
to those in the Old Testament. So those who come to Jesus and believe in him will find spiritual strength, spiritual sustenance, spiritual satisfaction. Lord, we thank you how you have revealed yourself to us. Speak, we pray, in this moment, in these moments ahead, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, I was thinking bread is a frequent subject throughout the Bible. As I, we just read a moment ago, God fed the people a bread-like su- uh, substance, manna, while the people were in the wilderness before they entered the promised land. I thought about the term Bethlehem, a term here in a couple of months we're going to be hearing uh, quite frequently, but in the original language, Bethlehem means house of bread. That's not coincidence that Jesus was born in this tiny, tiny town of Bethlehem uh, that is translated house of bread. When Satan tried to tempt Jesus, what did he say? You can turn these stones into bread. The famished Jesus who was going through a famine was being tempted by Satan to try to turn stones to bread. As I just mentioned, another case was when Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the Father. I think in uh, the Old Testament sacrificial system and the uh, various furnishings that went in the tabernacle and after that the temple you had what the table of showbread and then we have the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 did you realize that Jesus preceded this statement I'm the bread of life the previous day by feeding and multiplying uh, loaves of bread to be able to feed 5,000 In fact, as we look in the Gospel of John, this isn't the only time that Jesus followed a miracle with a statement about who he is. In other words, Jesus healed the man uh, that was born blind, who had no light, and after that miracle, he said, I am the light of the world. And so as we look at the miracles that Jesus performed, his miracles were actually signs, and let me distinguish. A miracle can be an end in itself. But a sign is a miracle that gives a direction, that points to a specific truth. And so Jesus performed a miracle that indeed was a sign by multiplying the loaves of bread. And that sign pointed to a greater truth that he himself is the bread of life. Now, we all know that bread in those people, the 5,000, they ate of the bread and it met a temporal need. But guess what? We don't have it documented here, but we know uh, we as human beings, I'm sure those people, should they have lived long enough, they were hungry again. Yet as he talks about himself spiritually, he says, I'm the bread of life and the one who eats from me shall never hunger. And so as we look at this, Jesus is trying to express who he is in the spiritual manner that we need to understand. For instance, we need to literally believe what he says. Now, there's symbols. Let me explain it this way. He calls himself elsewhere, or John said, let's say, John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God. He didn't mean that Jesus was walking on four legs and, uh, you know, was shepherded by someone, but he was speaking symbolically of the fact that Jesus was the Lamb of God who would what? Give himself for our sins. And so when Jesus says, eat of me or drink of me, he's not 
speaking of some literal eating, but he's speaking symbolically, spiritually, that we're to come to him and we're to believe on him. He's the one that satisfies our spiritual needs. You know, we are living in days today, and I'm sure they have always been this way, but it seems more poignant today that people are living and trying to find fulfillment in all of the wrong things, in work, in moving up the ladder, in power, in gaining position. Other people try to find fulfillment in relationships or in some in drugs or alcohol. They try to salve their conscience or try to meet uh, their deepest needs. None of these things, none of these things can meet our deepest needs. As I thought about this week, that truth, we need to be careful because we'll say, yeah, I know that person at work that's trying to find fulfillment and moving up the ladder. I, I know that person who's struggling with this issue or that issue. I know that person who seems to not be able to function if they don't have a, a human relationship. But if we're not careful, we begin to think of how Jesus as the bread of life can meet other people's needs rather than meeting our own needs. As we study about Jesus being the bread of life, we need to understand that we're to look to him alone to fulfill our deepest spiritual needs. So today I want to look at three things that Jesus as the bread of life does for us. And then I want to look at two ways that he exceeds physical bread as symbolized by the manna that God provided in the Old Testament. As outstanding, as wonderful, as great as that manna was, we're going to see that it pales in comparison to the true bread of life Jesus Christ. Well, first, the three things that Jesus as the bread of life does for us. The first is this, he satisfies us. Watchman Nee, uh, who was a great theologian and wrote many books, said that hunger has to do with dissatisfaction. Now, most of the time when we eat, it's because we're not satisfied. Now, I'll confess, not all the time. Like we had some M&Ms and I really um, shouldn't have eaten them. It wasn't that I was really hungry. I just felt the temptation yesterday. But you know where we're going with this. Hunger has to do with dissatisfaction. That stomach begins to growl, probably when the preacher preaches too long and it's saying, I'm hungry, feed me. You know, my dad's family has always loved bread. I shared this with the uh, Sunday night crew. Um, my dad his dessert was toast with damson preserves, and it was almost a ritual. And I shared this story. It's interesting, and those Sunday night, forgive me because I'm going to repeat it, but uh, when I was growing up, my mom's name was Barbara, but at that time when Dad would finish the meal, he would say, Bread Sam, and I'm thinking, man, what in the world are you saying? My, my mom's name is Barbara. Well, I found out that my great-grandfather was one of 12 children, and my great-grandfather um, lived in such a large family that they sat in a humongous table. Guess who sat by the bread basket? Sam. And so my great-great-grandfather would say, Bread, Sam, and then it just became a tradition. My great-grandfather would say, Bread, Sam. It went down all the way to my dad said, Bread, Sam, and I had no idea what he was saying. My great-grandfather actually was one of two men that started the Farmer's Bank 
and, and I didn't know he died before uh, I was ever born, but it was always told me that when he had finished eating, he said, I have eaten sufficient. And they said every meal, once he was satisfied, he said, I've eaten sufficient. Now, the uh, grammarian in me, I would have wanted to say probably eaten sufficiently, but I wouldn't have corrected him anyway. But the fact of the matter is this. The fact of the matter is this. Bread satisfies. Jesus says, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. What do we do when we're hungry? Figuratively, we do what? We come to the table. We gather at the table. What is he saying as the bread of life? He says, if you will come to me, believing in me, even as bread meets physical hunger, I myself will meet your deepest spiritual need. The question is, are we truly hungry? My good friend and former pastor in the area who now pastors in Texas, Bruce Larson, shared a funny story years ago. He was working with his brother during the summer, making extra money in northern Virginia, and they did in-ground pool construction. He said there were a lot of hot days, and he said his brother didn't like to stop at anything. They would start early in the morning and work through the day. And this particular day, he said it was really hot. He said, I stayed hydrated, but we did, we skipped lunch. We were trying to meet this deadline. And he said, I, I got in the car, and it must have been, or the pickup, rather. He was riding a pickup home after work. And he said, it must have been 100 degrees that day. And he said, I saw that Big Mac sitting on the, sitting on the uh, dashboard. He said, I realized somebody had eaten half of it the day before, and then that special sauce sat in the sun all day. You know what he did? He ate it. He ate it. Why did he eat that? Because he was really, really hungry. I wonder today, are you hungry for the bread of life? I could stick a loaf of bread right here, but the question is, do you desire that bread? Is it in your desire? Is it in your heart? Do you crave? Are you unsatisfied in your life? Are you willing to, to come to the one who alone can meet your spiritual need? And not only as the bread of life does he satisfy us, but he also sustains us. Reading the commentary, Matt Carter and Josh Redberg uh, wrote uh, about this truth, that as the bread of life, not only does Jesus satisfy us spiritually, but he sustains us. It speaks to a continuation. Look at verse 37. In verse 37, he says, Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will what? Never cast out. Never. Not at any point. There's a continuation. Look at verse 39. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. He loses no one. Jesus keeps us. The, this passage is one of the great passages for eternal security. Once a person saved, once a person is truly saved, that one is eternally secure. But it means that and more. It means that we can never come to Jesus at a point where he's failed. That we can never come to Jesus 
and say, you know, that's been sitting on the dashboard. I don't think I will do it. We can come to him because he is always freshly available to us. He sustains us, the continuity. It's not that we fed on him when we believed in him at conversion, but we continually feed. So again, it's not just that he's teaching here that once you're saved, you're always saved, and that you can't send away God's salvation. By the way, you should never try to. That would be a problem. But what he is saying is he's always available for you to come. You come to him for your daily sustenance. You know, Jesus speaks twice here, at least, of the Old Testament feeding of manna for the people of Israel during the wilderness years between the exodus uh, from Egypt and their entry into the promised land. We see it first described in Exodus 16. And God would do what? In the morning, they would get up and there would be these wafer-like substance that was manna and it would appear with the dew and it was their daily bread they would go out and they would gather it but God warned them that it was just a temporal thing he said don't try to store it up and if they tried to store it up for the future days what would happen it would basically rot in their possession so what did they have to do the next day they would go out and it would be provided what a beautiful picture of the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. But as we're going to see here, the manna pales in comparison to Jesus, whereas the manna that day would, would fade and there would need to be other manna to replace it. Jesus is our ever-present help in trouble. He is always there. He is a, uh, a provision that God, the provision that God has given for your spiritual needs. Well, there's a third thing we look at. Not only does Jesus as the bread of life satisfy us, not only does he sustain us, but he also strengthens us. Going back to Watchman Nee uh, and what he said in his book, Christ, the sum of all spiritual things, he said that we eat bread to be strengthened. Yeah, we we eat it because it meets a need. We're not satisfied. Our stomach's growling. We need bread. We need it to sustain us. But we also need it to strengthen us. We eat to gain strength. What do we say if someone is ill and they're not eating very much? What do we we admonish them? Now try to eat something. Eat something. You need this. You need it not only for sustenance but strength. We would have a struggle if we went days without eating and tried to work hard labor. In First Timothy, as we were studying about God and, and finances and God's view, remember he was saying don't muzzle the ox while it's treading the grain. In other words, it's okay to feed the animal. In fact, it's beneficial to feed the animal so that it has strength to do the work. And so as the bread of life, Jesus gives us spiritual strength to do spiritual work. Remember when Martha was busy, when Jesus visited the home of Mary and Martha, and she was busy doing all of this, where was Mary? At Jesus' feet, listening to him, communing with him. What did Martha, the older sister, she was frustrated. Jesus, I'm doing all of this. I'm frantically running around, and Mary is just sitting there 
What does Jesus say? Oh, you're right, Martha, Mary. Yeah. He said, Mary has chosen what is better. Is he saying it's okay for Mary not to do work? No. What he realized in Martha's situation, she was serving God, but she was doing so in her own strength. You ever been guilty of that? I have. I, I try to do things, and I do it in my own strength, and God's Spirit convicts me. We need to be Spirit-led. We need to, to get our strength from the time that we spend with God. If you're trying to serve God without spending time with God, then that's a terrible thing. I, I think back in 1 Samuel chapter 14, one of King Saul's, quite a few, we might say, mistakes. He made a rash oath one time. He told the fighting men who were fighting against the Philistines, he took an oath and said, any man that eats until we have defeated the Philistines will be cursed. Well, guess what? His son, Jonathan, his beloved son, didn't hear the command. He didn't get the memo. So what did he do? He saw some honey and he began to eat. And the guys came up to him, the military men, you don't understand your father has taken an oath and there's going to be a judgment uh, on anyone that eats of the honey. Through the mercy of God, because of the negligence and the missteps of Saul, God spared Jonathan from a curse. But you know what Jonathan said? He said, in effect, this, Dad made a terrible mistake. Because if you had been able to eat as the fighting men, you would have defeated the Philistines more quickly and more powerfully. What was he saying? The physical food. The physical food enables you to go into battle. Are you going through a spiritual battle? You need to be in the Word of God. You need to be studying about the person, the work of Jesus. You need Him. What we see in this is Jesus exceeds physical bread as the bread of life he strengthens us he sustains us and he satisfies us and he does it even in a greater way than physical bread can meet our physical needs and i want to look really at two ways again how jesus the spiritual bread of life exceeds even physical bread but we shouldn't be surprised by that we shouldn't be surprised that jesus is greater than the manna in the Old Testament because Jesus as the Lamb of God was greater than the lambs that were offered under the Old Covenant. And Jesus is the fulfillment of everything. He is, as we saw last week, He is all and all comes through Him. He alone is the Savior. He alone is to be understood as God's provision for us. The book of Hebrews speaks to the superiority of Christ. So how then does Jesus exceed the giving of physical bread as depicted by the manna that was given in the Old Testament? I'm not speaking down the manna. That was God's provision. But Jesus is God's greater provision, greatest provision. And first we see that Jesus is the eternal bread. Look at verse 50. This is the bread, he's speaking of his own life, his own self, that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. Now, again, he's not speaking of physically eating, consuming in a cannibalistic way. That is somebody that was ignorant would think that. But he is speaking spiritually, even as we come to the table 
for physical food. When we come to him spiritually, he satisfies. Look at verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Now, did the manna come down from heaven? It did. God gave it. But it was not the living bread because what happened every day, it would be replaced by another uh, batch of of uh, the bread. But he says, I am the living bread. If anyone eats of this bread, verse 51, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, it is symbolic of what? The bread, the body of Christ that was broken for us. Look at verse 54. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 57, just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live, that idea continue to live because of me. And then uh, uh, another important verse, verse 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven. It's not like the manna your ancestors ate and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. As he compares himself to the Old Testament physical bread of manna, what he is saying is, I'm always here, I'm always sufficient, I always sustain, I always satisfied, I never fail, I am eternal, and the one who believes in me, you don't have to worry about me getting stale, you don't have to worry about the bread going through your system and physically as was the case in the Old Testament, in the case in our physical bread today, and I need more Jesus Christ satisfies the spiritual needs we have. But then secondly, how was he greater? In the Old Testament, God the Father gave the manna externally. In the New Testament, Jesus gave his very life. In one, God sent the manna and it came with the dew. In the other, God said, I send my son. If you had a great job to do, what would you do? You'd take care of it yourself if you had the money. Jesus Christ is the bread of life. The old manna was from God, but not of God. Jesus Christ is the bread of life. How could you reject this great gift? How could you say, God loved me enough to send his very best. See, the pea brain people that day, they were arguing, just like the people argued with the bread God sent in the Old Testament. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They were simpletons. They weren't understanding. He was speaking in the spiritual realm. Oh, this man, he's from Mary and Joseph. They didn't understand that Jesus was miraculously born of a virgin. But today, God's saying, you don't have to be like the world. You can believe him and come to him as the bread of life. Maybe today you've done that in your life, but you've not been continually sitting at the table. You've been trying maybe even to serve God, and you know your eternal security is there, but, but you're, you're working on fumes. It's time to come back to the table partake from the bread of life, fellowship, communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that concludes today, the, the message, but I'll, we'll do something a little different uh, this